Father, we love you, Lord. God, thank you for our time together in Genesis. And Lord, we thank you for Abraham. We thank you for the story of his life and the example that he is for us. Lord, we wanna learn lessons. We want to live in the reality. We wanna, we wanna have a faith that, that, that's active. And so what we see, the principles, the precepts, the instruction, the examples, Lord, we want all of that to fall out to us growing and knowing you and being full of faith. And, and so, Lord, help us this morning. We wanna hear from you. We want your word to speak into our heart and our lives. And so, Lord, we trust you for that this morning, all in Christ's name, amen. So here in Genesis chapter 12, in verses one through nine, we saw the call of Abram. And we saw, you know, it was, it, it was a process, right? He was learning, he was growing in faith. He was learning how to follow the word of the Lord. And so last time we saw Abram's call. This time we're gonna see Abram display a little cowardice. It's, a little, it's gonna be a, a kind of a rough look. Where in the first half of Genesis chapter 12, we saw Abraham growing and believing. Here we're gonna see his faith tested and we're gonna see him backsliding. So Lord willing, let's look at verses 10 through 20. So get this down in your notes. You just need to know this. The faith that you're to have in God's word, well that faith is gonna be tested. Faith is always a battle, okay? That's your first blank. Verse 10, here's how the battle begins. There was a famine in the land and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was grievous in the land. So God called Abram to the land to inhabit the land and then all of a the sudden there's a grievous famine. How are they going to survive? So Abe's faith, in God's promises are tried, that's your key word, they're tried by a famine. Now you need to know in your Bible, this is the first of 13 famines recorded in the word of God. 13, 13, huh, 13. 13's kinda got a connection to a picture in scripture. Lucky number 13, no. It's, it's associated with the person of Lucifer, the, the, the person of Antichrist, right? There's a, there's, a, there's a connection of the number 13 to spiritual wickedness in your Bible, and so it's just interesting. I gave you the cross-references so you can study those out for yourself, but uh, here is a famine, and what's happening? Well, okay, so let's just think back. Let's zoom all the way back out and, and get a look at what's taking place in the word of God. The very first prophecy in the Bible is Genesis chapter three, verse 15. One sister's paying attention. Come on, brothers and sisters. We, how, how many knew it was verse 13? You just knew it. Like, it's not a trap. I'm not trying to trick you. Genesis 3.15, key verse in your Bible, okay? This is where the promised Messiah is first mentioned, okay? He is the one who will crush Satan's head, the serpent's head. And it's the seed of the woman. So what happens? We immediately see Satan attacking the seed of the woman. Uh, where is the famine? Well, it's in the land, it's in the place where the focus of the seed of the woman has zoomed in onto, scripturally, onto the family of Abram. And so what's Satan doing? He, well, he's working to destroy the birth of the seed of the woman who's gonna crush his head. That's what's happening. Well, why? Why is that happening? Well, unlike a lot of Christians in the Laodicean church age, Satan actually pays attention to the word of the Lord. He's all about knowing what God has said, why? Well, what have we seen so far? 
His objective, where the word of the Lord is concerning God's people, is to overturn it, isn't it? He wants to negate it. He wants to short circuit it. And so that's what's happening here. You know, in Genesis chapter 10, we saw the generations of Noah. In chapter 11, it said the genealogy comes through Shem. And by the end of Genesis chapter 11, it's worked its way down to Terah, and we've been introduced to Abraham. Chapter 12 opens with the Lord appearing to Abraham. God is speaking to man. So, get you out of your father's house. Leave everything, go to the land that I'm gonna show you. Well, okay, so he, he started out with baby steps, but now he's in the land and here's the famine and so get this down in your notes. Your faith in God's word will always be tested. James chapter one, verse two tells you, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers, various temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, mature and complete, wanting nothing, lacking nothing. God wants to give you everything. He wants to fully equip you for a life of faith. So here, times get tough for Abram in the place that God has him, in the place that God told him to be, so what does he do? Well, he runs to Egypt for its riches and its resources. Because Egypt is, I mean, it's rich. It's full of resources. So you need to know this about Egypt. If you study your Bible, and I'll just give you the big picture now and the, and, the, and the cliff notes on Egypt. Egypt in your Bible throughout scripture is a type, it's a picture of alliance with the world or the world's system. Uh, when God's people are living in Egypt, they're there in what? What's the condition of their lifestyle? We would call it bondage, slavery. And the picture of the God's people in Egypt uh, there's an, actually an incredible salvation picture in Exodus. You see people who are supposed to be the people of God living in the land, it, living in God's promised rest. They don't have it. They're in bondage in Egypt. And so what happens? You've got an incredible, I mean, the pictures, the types are, are amazing. Uh, the deliverer comes and they are delivered with a strong hand out of Egypt um, they're delivered from Pharaoh's wrath and Pharaoh's armies through the waters of the Red Sea. They're not actually, I mean, they're under a cloud. There's water at every side, but they, they're delivered on dry ground. It's called the baptism of Moses. What was deliverance for them was destruction for Pharaoh and his armies, and, and then they began what should have been a short journey to the promised land. It takes them 40 years, but, but it's an incredible picture of salvation delivered out of the bondage of Egypt. Well, that's the same thing's true for you and I. We were before Christ in the bondage of sin. Uh, sin and its wages ruled over and was crushing our life. Uh, there was no life there and then Jesus came and delivered us out of the bondage of sin with a very strong hand and, and uh, we were baptized into the person of Christ himself. Um, how amazing it must have been to have been with Moses walking through the weds, or the, the wed. Love and mewe, the Red Sea, <laughs> with walls of water on either side and this cloud, God's cloud is over your head. I mean, the wonder of that, I mean, you kind of reach in and you scratch a dolphin's nose, <laughs> this wall of water, I mean, an incredible thing. How amazing it is to be in Christ to be baptized, to be immersed in the person of Christ himself. Read Romans chapter six, it's amazing. 
Uh, what Israel had is nothing compared to what the born again child of God has in the age of grace. Uh, but you know, maybe you've never thought about that. Egypt in your Bible is a type of this world, the world system. It shows life in bondage to sin. Isaiah 31 verse one gives you, I mean this is just the cliff notes on Egypt, woe to them that go down to Egypt for help and stay on horses and trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. Woe to to Abraham. What did God tell him? Live in the land, be in the land. This is the land that I've given you. Well, there's a famine here and it's lush and rich in Egypt. Well, woe to you for thinking that that's gonna be the answer to your problem instead of calling on the Lord. What happened, Abe, to just saying, God, you put me here, what, just to starve? (laughs) I need some rain, I need some resources. Could he not have called on the Lord? No, he got a good idea and he went running to Egypt for help and, and biblically, that's a mistake. Now, before you go despising on Egypt, know that God loves the world. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son Right, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Okay, so here it is, check out, here's your homework on Egypt. Read Isaiah chapter 19. Uh, You don't get to despise Egypt, you don't get to despise Assyria. Um, Just read Isaiah chapter 19. God is gonna save them. Uh, It'll be a supernatural work that God does saving the nation of Egypt. But just know when you see them in your Bible, There is a connection to bondage of sin, trusting, it's a false trust, a false hope, and it's a lack of faith in God. So get this down in your notes. And here's the, we'll look at the map here in just a second, but the world is never a true friend or a true help. The world will always pull you down to its level. Notice where Egypt is on our map. Okay, so go ahead and bring up Egypt there. Uh, It's down. Right, he has to go down from where he's at. Now, the scripture could have said over to Egypt, couldn't it? Could have said that, but it is still, I mean, if we go north to south, it's still technically actually below uh, the Canaan land, the promised land. Uh, but the Bible is very clear to make sure that you know there's a picture there, it's down, right? He's, he's taking a step down into Egypt why is that? Well, in Egypt, Abram is out of fellowship with God. His faith is failing. Notice that when he's in Egypt, you'll read the story and see there's no building of an altar or calling on the Lord while Abram is in Egypt. So you just get this picture. Wherever you go in life, your heart's gonna follow and that's gonna affect your fellowship with the Lord. In Egypt, he's out of fellowship with God. So what does he do? He's, he's gone down. So he's not worshiping, he's trying to figure out how to stay alive. So wherever you go in life, your heart, fo- your heart follows. So when, when times get hard, then what? Will you stand on the promises of God? Will you stand on God's word or will you run to the world? Because, get this down, one bad decision, one big mistake like this always begets more. Anytime you go down spiritually, one misstep, one bad decision is gonna lead to at least one more, maybe 10 more, okay? That's just how that principle works. So here it is, he goes down and what comes out of his mouth? Oh yeah, lies. That's the fruit of unbelief, point number two. What is it? Lies. 
Verse 11 says, and it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarah, his wife, behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. It's good to tell your wife that uh, every once in a while. Woman, you're good looking. Okay, everybody knows it. Verse two, therefore, it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee, they shall say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. So, the question on the floor is this, can something be truthful, right, factually correct, and still be untruthful? Can a half-truth be a total lie? Absolutely it can. Yeah, she says half-sister, right? And he does this three times in scripture. I give, did I give you the cross-references there? Verse 13, chapter 20, verse two, and in chapter 26 and verse seven. Three times he says, she's my sister. And it's true, she says half-sister, again, uh, the, the human genome is not diluted to the point it was by the time the law came. Sister Lovin was on the menu at that time. Today, just for reinforcement, okay, you do not get to marry your close relation. That is forbidden in the law with the giving of the law in Moses' generation. Um, your sister is, yeah, okay, so, praise the Lord. So this plan that Abram comes up with, it's a premeditated lie. Uh, In Genesis chapter 20 and verse 13, it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said unto her, this is the kindness which thou shalt show unto me at every place whither we shall come, say of me, he is my brother. Okay, here's the problem. What did God say to him in Genesis chapter 12? He said that he and Sarah, right, that God would make of him a great nation. That means he and Sarah have to have a child they gotta make a great nation. Therefore, just do the, do the spiritual, sanctified math. If God's gonna make of us a great nation, that means we're bulletproof until the babies come. They haven't had a baby yet. Is everybody with me on that? That's logical, isn't it? You said you're gonna make of us a great nation. Well then, I know what at least the next nine months include. That's me breathing, us living. Okay, so. They can't die, they gotta be together at least until the birth of Isaac. But they run into a hard time and they go run into a lush, rich place because they are the supply. That is the answer instead of getting on their knees before the Lord. And Christians do the same thing today. You come into a hard time, you come to a hard place and then what do you do? Instead of calling on the name of the Lord, you're trying to wheel and deal and make something happen. You're applying for credit cards, you're trying to get credit, you're trying to get someone to give you a benefit that'll, that'll ease your pain in the moment instead of getting a hold of God and saying, Lord, this famine, this grievous thing, this grievous trial in my life, what are you trying to show me? What are you trying to teach me? Lord, you are my supply. You are my life. You are my resource. Instead of seeking the Lord, seeking what his word says over what you're facing, uh, we run to horses and chariots. We run to the, 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 what appears to be this lush, green, rich, fat resource in the world. It doesn't love us. It, it has the promise of blessing, but it ends up using all who follow its way. Got so many people who call themselves by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and they're married to the world they got more debt, they couldn't, couldn't follow the Lord into kingdom work to save their life, 
because they're barely keeping up with their interest payments. We're offering a, a, a financial class. Uh, Larry and Anita are gonna be teaching finances at the end of this month. Man, praise the Lord, we need that. But here's the good news. We can be weak in faith, but God's still faithful to his own. We can be weak, but God doesn't negate his faithfulness. And it came to pass, verse 14, that when Abram was coming to Egypt, that the Egyptians beheld the woman, that she was very fair. So Abram's not just dim of sight or something. Uh, she's, she's a looker. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house and he entreated Abram well for her sake. And he had sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants, watch that, and maid servants, oh no, and she asses and camels. Verse 17, and the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. So don't miss, there's an incredible picture here. This is uh, an illustration of great tribulation. So when we get to Genesis chapter 22, we're gonna find out unequivocally that Abraham is a picture, he's a type, his life picture is God the Father who is willing to see the son sacrificed. That's what we're gonna see. That means Abraham is a type of God himself. Now again, he's an imperfect type, okay? God shows you, uh, God shows you, you know, I mean, he shows you the grime, he shows, he shows you the, the weakness, he shows you the problems, but, but don't miss the picture. Okay, so what that means then is this is an encapsulated picture of Israel during a time of tribulation. What happens? Well, Abram has retreated to Egypt, and this now all unfolds. Abraham is a type of the father, Genesis 22, has given his wife over to Pharaoh, given his wife over to the power of Pharaoh, to the power of Egypt. Well, that's what happens to the nation of Israel during the time of great tribulation. It's the time of Jacob's trouble, and it's a time where the Antichrist will exercise trouble over, power over, the, the, the Jewish people in the land during the time of great tribulation. And so Pharaoh has Sarah as a type of Antichrist, and so God is plaguing Pharaoh for it just as he will plague the world, the empire of the Antichrist during the time of tribulation. Is everybody seeing this? Do you see that, how these pictures line up in your Bible? Well, that's just an encapsulated picture of what is yet to come. So we give you a chart to break it all down. It's a prophetic parallel. So there's a famine in the land. I was sharing this with the Bible school students uh, yesterday. In the Bible, the Bible's like a hologram, okay? Uh, it's just the same picture inside the picture. Inside, I mean, it just, it, 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 the, the, the great themes of the Bible just keep repeating. Uh, once you see it, you can't unsee it. It's everywhere, okay? So what we're seeing here uh, in, in chapter 12 is gonna repeat itself with the nation of Israel being in the bondage of Egypt uh, this 400 years of slavery, okay? We're, we're gonna see history repeat itself, okay? So what happened in Abraham's life is gonna happen in the life of Jacob's um, uh, children, okay? The, the 12 tribes when they're taken into bondage in Egypt. All of this is a type, it's a picture of tribulation, okay? So there's a famine in the land that brought Abraham down here in chapter 12. It'll bring his children down again in chapter 47. 
there's an attempt to kill all of the males but save the families. Abram's worried about this here in chapter 12. They'll kill me but they will save you. Well, that's exactly what happens in Exodus chapter one. They're killing off the males and saving the females. Uh, Then there's plagues on Pharaoh's house in Genesis chapter 12 but then it's on Pharaoh and all of Egypt in Exodus chapter seven. And then notice Abram gets rich here in chapter 12 in Egypt. I mean, he was rich before, but, but he's, I mean, you know, Pharaoh wants his wife, his, sister, his half-sister. Okay, so we see that in verse 16. He entreated Abram well. Well, Egypt is spoiled by Israel when she is delivered from the bondage of slavery in Exodus chapter 12. And then you see them delivered here. Abram and Sarah is delivered here in verse 19, and Israel is ultimately delivered from Egypt in Exodus chapter 15. And that explains a lot right there. I mean, you can't press types too far, but that is the gist of the picture that we're seeing here at the end of Genesis chapter 12, right? The word of God is, it's it's hologramic. I don't know how else to say it. Same themes over and over, and they just get bigger and bigger. This example of this trial in Abram's life, the trial in the bondage of sin in Egypt, that'll be nothing like the trial of great tribulation. That'll be, uh, for for the nation of Israel, there will be no other time, no other trouble like unto it, and except the believing Jew runs to the Judean wilderness, uh, their life is absolutely in jeopardy. All right, verse 18. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidst thou she is my sister? So I might have taken her to me to wife. Now therefore behold thy wife, you liar, you're not your sister. Notice he doesn't call her, he doesn't say sarcastically, behold now thy sister, no, your wife, and take her away and go thy way. Uh, take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. Okay, so the fruit of unbelief continues, right? Abram loses his testimony before this unsaved king. What he's done is so bad, you've got an unsaved, right, and a, a, a pagan, a pagan king rebuking the man of God. You should have known better. What you did was wrong. Man, how's that? Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Here's a lost man telling God's man, <laughs> you're, you're a mess. So how does Abraham witness to Pharaoh about the one true God after he lied to him? Can he do it? Can he do it with power and authority? No way. Uh, I mean, his best hope would be poorly. That's how he would do it, pathetically. So his testimony before this man is wrecked. You know, in, Abra- in, in Egypt, now Abraham's gained men servants and maidservants. So he's got another member of the family because this is the place in the text where Sarah would have picked up Hagar. That's where they would have gotten this Egyptian handmaid. Uh, you're not gonna, at least in the text, you're not gonna find another place. It could have happened in other places, but this is probably where it went down. And then that becomes a big problem in Genesis chapter 16, and we'll see that, that it opens them up because now they've got these men servants and these maid servants, now they're open to more bad ideas, more solutions, instead of just trusting God for his promises, more solutions to help God that come through the power of the flesh, and that results in strife and hurt in their home. 
Uh, we'll see that whole mess break down in Genesis chapter 16. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, bare him no children. She had an handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said unto Abraham, or unto Abram, behold now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing, I pray thee, have sex with my maid. Go in unto my maid that it may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram said, okay. <laughs> he, hearkened unto, he hearkened to the voice of Sarah. Oh, that's gonna go really well. I mean, that's just gonna go fantastic. Yeah, just here, here's my servant girl. Just get her pregnant so that she can bear a child for me. And then, I mean, it hit the fan in Abram's tent. What a mess. See, Abram's faithlessness, his backsliding into Egypt results into problems for all of mankind. Isaac and Ishmael still don't get along. Sarah can't have a baby, but now here's this solution living right with them. Where did they, where did they find this solution to help God out with his promises? Well, it was in Egypt. Having the Egyptian in the, in the caravan with them is what made crazy possible. That's, how, that's what gave her the idea to hatch the insane scheme. See, whatever we make part of our life from the world's ways, from life in Egypt, from life in a world system, it's not gonna help, it's only gonna hinder our spiritual ability to thrive. Did you get that? God's got his call over your life and his word over your life is very clear. I know what the Bible says, but here's what I gotta do to make sure that I'm helping God out, that I'm living my best life now. Oh man, are you kidding me? That's hindering your spiritual ability to thrive. Galatians 6 verse 14 says, but God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. You are called out from this world system. God calls you to be a peculiar people. We don't live like the lost world. We live according to the instruction set that God declared he instructed should be reality over our life. You say, well, I know what God's word says, but here's all my lack. Oh man, that's gonna fire up your prayer life. That's gonna, I mean, yeah, you're, it's gonna, what God promised, you're gonna, you're gonna endeavor in following it. You're gonna walk in the word of God and absolutely between your lost flesh, this lost world and its devil God, there's gonna be trial. There's gonna be, okay, you said you decided to follow Jesus. We'll see. We'll see if you meant it. Or do you, have be- do you have better ideas? Do you have a better solution? The world basically in your mind's got some things figured out where God's word falls short and so you're gonna go away that's right in your own eyes and, and, and you're gonna be the exception. That's not gonna lead to heartache, problems, despair, death. No, we're to be crucified to the world and the world to us. We don't despise the world. Man, God so loved the world. He, he gave his only begotten son. We need to love the lost world. But man, that isn't our life. Sister, that isn't who we are anymore. We are not of the world. Abram's journey into Egypt has a bad influence, not just on Sarah, but also on Lot. Lot gets a taste for Egypt living in Egypt. In Genesis chapter 13, we're gonna see Lot lift up his eyes and behold the plain of Jordan. And he sees that it was a well-watered Right, it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, do you see that? It's like the land of Egypt. Man, I liked it in Egypt. And here's a place that's just like Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. 
Wearsby said, this young man developed a taste for Egypt, and though Abram, Abraham took Lot out of Egypt, he couldn't take Egypt out of Lot. Man, that's good. <laughs> he, couldn't, he couldn't get the world's ways out of his nephew. It was always tragic. It was always tragic when a mature believer leads a younger Christian astray. In 12.8, Lot shares Abram's tent and altar, but when Lot comes out of Egypt, he has only tents, no altar. You don't see Lot with an altar in Genesis chapter 13. No wonder Lot gravitates toward Sodom and ends up a moral and spiritual wreck. In Genesis 13.5, Lot has flocks, herds, and tents. He doesn't have an altar. So what's happening here? One bad decision leads to another. What's happening? You know, it's like, uh, you remember the first time you sinned and you felt so horrible when you, whatever it was, maybe it was the first time you lied or the first time you thought that you were gonna derive enjoyment from pornography or perversion or something, some such like. Remember that first time? Do you remember how it cut you in your heart, in your core? Your bowels hurt? Do you remember that? Or am I talking to a room full of psychopaths? Okay, do you remember that? How bad it hurt. And then, you know, you were tempted again, and, 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 and the hurt, you, you knew it was still there, but you told it to shut up because you were gonna do what was right in your, uh, now, you, I mean, what you used to cringe at the idea of, what you used to blush at the thought of, uh, now it's no big deal. What happened? What happened to you? Oh, uh, you know, one, excuse after another, one explanation after another. You just explain it away. The conscience that God placed in your heart, you muzzled it, you seared it, you shot it dead, whatever you did. I mean, what's happening? You're just weakening yourself to the resistance, or your resistance against sin. It just keeps being weakened and undermined. That's what happens with Abraham. One bad decision leads to another. In Egypt, notice, He's not worried about Sarah, he's worried about himself. He's more worried about himself than his wife, the one that he's supposed to be making a great and mighty nation with. The promises of God, he's jeopardizing them. What about the promised seed in Genesis 12 too? His plan almost lost him, his wife. Without Sarah, right, his promised blessings would have been voided. And worse, this becomes a pattern, that's your next blank. It's a pattern of faithless sin. In Genesis 20, he lies again. He does the same thing regarding Sarah. Now, let's talk about, I mean, God, God doesn't leave us crazy and rebellious, and let's look at some lessons about how Abraham is brought back into fellowship with God. And so get this down in your notes. Even though Abraham's fellowship with God was damaged, his relationship with God was not. That was, that was sure. See, God keeps his promises. He doesn't give up on Abraham. And so God used Egypt to chasten him. He used Egypt to bring Abram back into fellowship with him. In Hebrews chapter 12, we're told as God's children not to despise the chastening of the Lord. We ought to be glad for it. In the moment, it's grievous. It's not enjoyable to be corrected. Uh, You know, verse six says, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. He said uh, in verse nine, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? 
For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he, God, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, after the punishment, after the spanking, right, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. God catches his children in, in rebellion, in sin, he says, I need to work you out, I need to exercise you. And it's not comfortable, those lessons are always painful, but man, they yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness. This correction of Abraham brings him back to a place of obedience and right worship. Check out, just turn one page over to Genesis chapter 13 and verse one. So Egypt, right, he's, it's not part of his life anymore. Abram went up before he went down. Now he goes up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had and lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and gold and he went on his journeys from the south even unto Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar which he had made uh, there at the first. And there, at this place of the altar before the Lord, there Abram called on the name of the Lord. So get this down in your notes, okay? Abram doesn't just say, he doesn't say, you know, he doesn't just say my bad and keep living in sin. No, he went back to the place of promise. He went back to the place of obedience and blessing. So get this down in your, in your notes. Repentance is a change of mind that changes how you live. It's not just lip service, okay? It's how you live. In 2 Corinthians chapter seven, the apostle Paul describes it. He says, I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance, for you were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of this world worketh death. You know, the lost without God can be sorry about things and still continue on in destruction. Godly sorrow says, not my way, but your way. I'm not gonna go away that's right in my own eyes. Lord, I see it now. You're worth being right with. Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, this selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge in all these, right? In all things ye have approved yourself to be clear in this matter. Uh, you said, man, I'm done with lost living. I'm done with destructive living. God's word is worth being right with and so I'm gonna submit to it. I'm gonna yield my life to its precepts. Lip service changes nothing. Abraham couldn't say, my bad, but keep living in Egypt. No, Egypt is no place for me. I need to be in the promised land. And so Abram gets his tail back to the altar, back to Bethel, back to the place of worship. He had to go back to the land of Canaan and rededicate, recommit his life and his ways before the Lord. Some of you this morning, you've gotten a taste of, of living lost, right? Lost living. Come back, rededicate your life to Christ. Come back to the place of blessing. Get back to a place of submission to the word of God so that you can be in the place where you've now got your worship relationship with God restored. You know, Abram, 
God still claimed him when he was in Egypt. His fellowship was messed up, but the relationship was sure. That's why God made sure he got a whipping in Egypt. He's got a lost king who's mad because his house is plagued, straightening Abram out. How humiliating, how, I mean, just, you know when you get caught, right? <gasps> the blood drains out of your face, you have a vasal response. I mean, like some people pass out when they get, I mean, it's just, <gasps> you, I'm caught. What a horrible moment, but oh man, how wonderful. He can't get away with the lies, he can't get away with the deception, he can't get away with the faithless, faithlessness anymore. And he comes back and he rededicates, he repents and he rededicates his life to Christ. Some of you, God loves you and you're pulling to Judas. Lord, Lord, but you won't do what he says. Lord, Lord, master, but you're trading a right relationship with him for what? 30 pieces of silver in a lost and dying world in the, in the lost dying ways of the world? Well, you know, this is gonna help me. You know, if I do what God wants, that's gonna mess up my plans. Your plans are destroying you. There's, this is not the place of a blessing. This is not the place to spiritually thrive. Some of you, the Holy Spirit is speaking right into your heart and your life and you know you need to quit with what you're doing. Some of you, you need to break up. You need to break up with someone that is not leading you in faith, they're not leading you in obedience. It's, it's, it's Egyptian living. It's bondage life, right? Others of you, you need to break up with that boss that's, that's asking you to lie and cheat and steal. You need to go find the job that God has for you where you can earn an honest living. You need to, I mean, some of you need to break up. Some of you need to break up with your smartphone because it is, I mean, that is an aperture into hell itself and you know it. You need to break your smartphone and go get a flip phone and a, and a New Testament pocket Bible. I need my apps. Get a New Testament pocket Bible. Go old school for God's glory. I mean, I don't know. I mean, if that's you, I mean, I, I'm a hypocrite. I got a smartphone. But maybe you need to break up with yours. You know, they still sell flip phones. Go get a flip phone. I, my first flip phone was so cool. It said Nextel right on it. Had a pocket, had a, had a hip holster. Whip that out. Pop my flip phone up. Uh, you, you need to go back. Uh, now, I grew up working the phone like this. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> but that's how I use the phone, okay? And so when I could have a phone on my hip, very cool. It would be cool. Some of you need to, that would be cool. Some of you need to throw away, you need to take a baseball bat to your gaming system. Uh, you don't work out because you gotta get to the next level of whatever dumb RPG game or what, I don't know, man. I, some of you, I don't know, I mean, you, 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 whatever it is in this lost world that's keeping you from submitting to this book, growing in it, knowing it, Submitting your life to it in obedience to God, you gotta walk away. God, God's word, it's worth being right with. There is a pathway, there is a place of blessing. Stop with the excuses. Rededicate your life to Christ. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name, and Lord, how desperately we need you. We need to be right with you. Positionally, it's already done at the cross of Calvary.
But Lord, how many of us say we're gonna continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, Lord, you're worth being right with what's true of us positionally, ought to be true experientially. Lord, we are, you're worth being right with. And so Lord, for brothers and sisters where fellowship is broken, I pray that today would be the day of zealous, vehement, vengeful repentance. That, that brothers and sisters, that we'd approve ourselves to be clear in these matters. And then, Lord, if there's anyone here today that does not know you, that's just trapped in the bondage of sin, Lord, I pray that today that Jesus would be their Moses and that they'd be delivered at the cross of Calvary. Lord, that they'd be baptized through the precious blood of Jesus into the person of Christ himself. God, you love them and you want them. You wanna deliver them from the bondage of sin. You wanna deliver them from a path that leads to death, destruction, and hell. And so God, please have your way with every heart, I beg in Christ's name, amen.